People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Visit redbarninc.com slash coupon to save a dollar off your first can. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations That Heal. This is Susan Jacoby, an international spokesperson shifting the global consciousness of childhood trauma on the adult survivor. I want to give a special welcome to our new listeners today. I hope that this show brings all of you some comfort and healing from any and all childhood trauma. Today, we're going to be talking about betrayal and abandonment and how we can graciously move into forgiveness and self-love. I know that these are topics that seem to run our lives when we get right down to the true pain that we're having. Our guest today is Patricia Rabon. Patricia's personal essays on family and faith have been published in the New York Times Magazine, Newsweek, Christianity Today, the Washington Post, Act of Faith blog, and many faith-related news blogs. Her writings have also been aired on NPR, National Public Radio. She is the author of two award-winning books, as well as her most recent book, a faith memoir co-authored with her daughter, Alana Rabon, entitled Undivided, a Muslim daughter, her Christian mother, their path to peace. Her website is Patricia Raybon, R-A-Y-B-O-N.com. I really value Patricia's willingness to be vulnerable and open in sharing. Her lessons of healing serve so many on their special path to forgiveness and self-love. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm doing great, Susan. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to chat with you on very important topics. I'm glad that we're opening up the space that we can approach it. I've had this week two conversations, actually in the past 48 hours, with two people who one especially feels betrayed by family and another who's experienced betrayal by life. Um, she lost her husband as a young wife, became a widow relatively young, at a relatively young age. I do hear a lot of stories of betrayal, and so, uh, and they're painful. Betrayal hurts. And um, I'm just starting to learn how to quiet my urgency to respond to people and the stories they're telling me and first say to them, that is terrible. That never should have happened. And you have every right to be feeling um, confused and damaged and angry and unforgiving (laughs) and all the things that, you know, betrayal can elicit. I think that's crucial that you offer that space. I have found, including my own personal experience, that every single one of us needs to be acknowledged where we are right now. Yes, 
I'm not sure why, Susan, but I didn't know that how important that acknowledgement was for a long time. I didn't know how important that acknowledgement is. I think part of the problem is that I've always been, like a lot of us in, in our country, we are fixers. We like things to be fixed. And as soon as somebody says that they're hurting, almost immediately, many of us, if not most, start to offer fixes. You know, you should do this, and you should go there, and you should read that, and (laughs) uh, you should say the other. And what I'm finally learning is that before all of that, people just want to be heard. I was talking about that with my husband this morning because we've experienced that with some family members recently. I said to him, I think I'm finally getting it. Um, When people are feeling bad, they want for somebody to say, I hear you. And what you're going through is really a hard thing. Turns out that is um, a great gift to give somebody. Just the awareness, the, the sensitivity to say, I'm not trying to fix you, but I and I hear you. I was thinking, Susan, about uh, people I consider my best friend. In fact, the, the woman I, I do consider my very, very best friend. We, in fact, we had a, breakfast, a brunch together on Saturday because we hadn't seen each other in a long time because of busy schedules, and we made time to do that. But I, when I think about the reason why she has become such a beloved, loyal, wonderful friend is that she always lets me know first, I hear you. And I'm, you know... It's interesting why is that why that's so hard for us to uh, to do that and to say that to people who are hurting. I think it's interesting uh, and and I promise the listeners that we'll get to the specific topics of your book and the forgiveness and and the journey to self-love and such. As you were talking, I was thinking to myself about First of all, I agree with you. It seems like the country, maybe even the whole world, is so focused on quick fixes, immediate fix. And I was thinking about um, addictions, more specifically this huge problem that the United States is having around mm-hmm. pain pills and, and such. And yeah. talk about a quick fix. That is the ultimate quick fix almost, just to block the pill. pain out. And, and I think so many of us, I would even venture to say that it, it's more of a generational habit, not 100%, but where we just kind of live our lives numb, blindfolded. We don't even want to see what someone else is feeling or hear their pain, let alone uh, share ours. Our own. Yeah, and, it's, and I, I think you'd agree this is not to judge because a lot of people are getting prescribed medication for a legitimate physical and emotional pain. I understand that, you know, if you have, if something hurts, you want relief. 
I think you're talking about something that's really important, and that is first, no matter what the situation, to say to people, I'm hearing your story, and you life or somebody in your life or um, some circumstance has left you uh, hurting and damaged, you get to talk about that. Before anything else, you get to talk about that. That's why writing is such a a useful tool. Mm-hmm. You're right. I do agree with you. I'm not making any judgments about the medicine thing. People mm-hmm. who know me know that. I'm not sure I'd be alive talking to you if it weren't for a variety of medicines that got me to this point. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that you brought that up because that is not my intention at all. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, you're you're welcome. I, I I think we hear enough. We want to be careful, and especially those of us who are not professional therapists. You know, I'm not a licensed um, psychotherapist. I am not an ordained pastor. Um, I'm not a seminarian. I write, and I have been a writer my entire life. I'm the least qualified to start dispensing judgment on people and on their their pain and how they're handling it. But what I have been shown, and I'm grateful for the lesson, is uh, what we've been saying in this opening part of the, the podcast today, and that is the critical importance of just taking a deep, deep breath and listening when somebody's telling their story. If nothing else, um, I hope our listeners can hear that and dare to practice it, you know, just see what happens. Right. You know, pause and, and listen to somebody, not be so quick to offer your your observation, your opinion, your contribution. Just step back and, and listen. The other thing that I did not know, and I'm, I'm a little embarrassed about not knowing, but I'm so grateful I learned it, and, and I learned it while writing the the book that you mentioned that I wrote with my daughter. And that's the importance during the listening process to then start asking questions. Again, that's another delay, you know, delaying that urge to fix by saying, tell me more, or I bet that did feel bad. What was the, you know, what was the um, most challenging thing about that? How has it made you feel? You know, these are things that I, I learned when I heard that when I saw my daughter writing uh, in one of her sections of our book that um, growing up that I didn't ever ask her questions, that I was a mom who was always giving instructions and directions, never saying, what do you think? Or um, I bet you have a good idea about that. Tell me um, how you see this. Learning that from her and how important it is to ask has changed all of my relationships. I do that now more with my husband, uh, with my grandchildren. And my youngest grandchildren are are pretty young. The youngest is three years old. But she's still not too young for me to say, well, what do you think about this? (laughs) It's a great gift. The question says, 
I believe that you're a thinking person and, and you've got an opinion. Let me take a minute and hear hear what it is. And it also says, um, I value you. Yes, it does, doesn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. That's a, another really good nugget for our listeners to ask a, a child or whoever it may be, you know, about you know, just what you were saying. It's just awareness that you're bringing that will enrich um, someone's relationship. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. I hope it's okay to say this, that I learned this lesson from the stories of Jesus in the Bible, whose ministry was largely about healing, healing the blind, healing the sick, healing those the disabled. And, um, and so a lot of those healing stories that I learned as a child in Sunday school Uh, show Jesus asking questions of people who are sick. Do you want to be healed? What do you want me to do for you? And in fact, one time I Googled the the phrase, the questions Jesus asked, and thousands of of people have written about these questions because there's something in the valuing of a question, as you described it, Susan, that helps people decide, first of all, if they want to be healed. Uh, One of my favorite Bible stories is about a man who was laying by a a healing pool for 38 long years. And Jesus comes along and sees him and asks him a question. And he says, do you want to be healed? You know, it's a powerful question for a man who's been uh, laying at this healing pool for a long, long time. The man starts to make excuses. You know, he says, well, people get get into the pool before I can. And, and and the quick end of that story is Jesus tells a man to pick up your bed and walk. You know, choose, basically choose to choose healing. But my husband and I talk about it a lot, Susan, because about 10 years ago, he had a medical emergency and lost the ability to walk until he had a surgery that corrected the problem. After the surgery, it was a ten, almost 10-hour 10 brain surgery. After he got out of ICU, the rehab doctors didn't tell him what to do. They asked him how much did he want to be healed. And one of them said to him, how much do you want back? You know, he, he couldn't walk at that point. And the doctor said, how much do you want back? And my husband said, I want it all. I want, I want everything. And so he, my husband had to decide that he wanted to be healed as much as all that he could be. And then the rehab program was put into place and started. It's interesting. We talk about that all the time, how he had to choose that he wanted healing. It's an important point for people who are hurting to consider. I'm glad that you're bringing that up. It takes the person, it takes one who, they're not, you know, maybe not intentionally in the quote-unquote victim role, or when things happen to you, you are a victim. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's just, 
you're a victim of that circumstance. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a chance to really take a look at your your personal power, your um, ownership of your situation, and make the decision what exactly is it that you want. It's a very empowerful and and that you're entitled to having what you want. I know for um, mm-hmm. very, it's very common for survivors of childhood trauma not to feel that they're worthy. And by asking somebody what do they want, you're asking them, you're making them decide to answer the question, and they have to know that they're worthy of that answer, you know, whatever yes. answer it is. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well said. Otherwise, a victim, as you said, can be left in the dust of the hurt and the struggle and forget or maybe not ever learn that they deserve to make a choice for living or, sounds dramatic to say living or dying, but, you know, metaphorically, to make a choice how they will respond liberating to for somebody to say to pose that question i really am enjoying this conversation and you know there's a part of me that wants to spend the whole hour on it uh, <laughs> but but i don't feel that that would be serving the listeners since we said that we were going to be talking about forgiveness and betrayal and all that although i really hate to move away from this conversation but you know we'll just see where it leads us so let's do jump into the self-love and the betrayal and all that stuff. To set the stage a little bit, can you tell us um, how, why uh, you and your daughter came to the decision to share your story and write your book, Undivided, A Muslim Daughter, Her Christian Mother, and Their Path to Peace? Yes. I was hurting from the decision that our daughter made to lead the family faith. And since writing the book, Susan and I have discovered that a lot of people are struggling with this or this or similar divides with their adult children. In our family, at least 10 years went by with us avoiding the topic. And that happened because we used to argue when she converted to Islam, which was right before 9-11 when she was in college. We as Christian parents, well, I should say I, I'll speak for myself, uh, would argue with her all the time. Every time we were together or every time we were on the phone, it just turned into a huge argument about which real, uh, faith was the right one and which faith principles were the right one and if the Bible was better than the Quran or the Quran was better than the Bible. In other words, we had stopped being mother and daughter and had started being um, adversaries. And so it was so painful for us that at some point we just stopped talking about the obvious, and that was that she had changed her faith. And we kept up that charade for 10 years. And we we would still get together as a family for Thanksgiving, and we, we no longer had Christmas together, obviously, but or Easter. But the times we were together for vacations or for for Thanksgiving or birthdays, we would act, pretend as if this divide wasn't there. And I think a lot of families are like that. You know, you get together, you're all sitting around the Thanksgiving table, but everybody knows that there's 
some one one thing that everybody's avoiding or not talking about. I didn't want to have that kind of relationship with my daughter. I only have two daughters, and I just didn't want to persist with that lie and that charade. And so I, I am a, an author and a, a journalist by training, and um, she's an educator and teaches language arts. And so I asked her one day, I emailed her and asked her, would she be willing to write a book to uh, together to bridge our divide? And she said yes, that she wanted to do that too. And that's how we started. And never guessing how hard it would be to dive into that process. We didn't have any professional guidance or co-therapy or anything like that. You know, I just started writing, and then I handed off to her, and she would respond. And that's how we wrote the whole book, um, passing back and forth, passing the baton back and forth. I want to interject here for a minute. Even mm-hmm. though we're talking about your specific experience, which, of course, we are, I'm, you know, I'm talking to you, and, and that's what you have to offer, you know, it's like anybody only has their experience to offer, which everyone's experience has a lot of value to add to other Mm -hmm. people and their growth. As I'm listening to you, you know, this interview isn't, and your book, I would venture to say, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't about specifically the switch of of faiths with, you know, your daughter and the Islam and the Christianity, you know, it sounds to me like it's more about embracing uh, one another and really learning and respecting one another and having compassion for one another to take this journey of, of for, for in your situation, uh, writing your book. Well, you're absolutely right. And I really appreciate you saying that because in a lot of interviews, people have wanted us to talk about the differences between Islam and Christianity. That, of course, is in the news and people are interested in that. But the real story of our journey is one of learning how to show understanding and respect to another person in your family, even when you disagree in a key area. I'm so grateful that I finally figured that out, of course, in writing the book, because I thought, Susan, I thought my daughter, Alana, was asking me to accept the choice that she had made. But when I started to listen, and we were talking about that earlier, what she was asking me is to respect her right to make the choice. And I looked at the word respect, and if you think, if you look at the Latin, the meaning of the word, it means to look again. And you can see that in the word respect. And so I looked again at my daughter, and she's a a wonderful, educated young woman. She's an excellent wife, I mean, a beautiful wife and and mother. She's an excellent school teacher. Uh, She's a good citizen, a good friend to her, her friends and to her neighbors. And I finally understood that I can relate to her on in all of those areas and leave the faith divide. I can give that to God. And I'm so grateful to know that, that, you know, 
often when I see division in families, they have forgotten to look at the things in their loved one that they actually like. You know, maybe they don't like, maybe they hate some particular decision that's been made or choice, but there may be probably a lot of things, other things about somebody that you actually like. Those are the places to build the relationship or to rebuild the relationship. Release the other thing to a higher power. I want to explore the betrayal and the forgiveness part, putting aside the hurt, the respecting, which clearly is part of building a relationship with anybody, even yourself Mm -hmm. or oneself. How did you manage the betrayed feelings and the abandonment feelings? I look at my children and I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you only know what to do with with the situation that you're in. So I'm not going to say if I could do that or not because I haven't been presented that situation. But how Mm -hmm. how did you journey through that, those feelings? Two ways. First, I, I finally recognized that I was grieving. I was grieving the loss of the relationship that um, I thought I was building when my uh, my children were growing up. You know, I thought I was building a certain sort of family, in my case, a Christian family. And we all, down the road, we'd all be at Christmas time standing around the Christmas tree singing Christmas carols. Well, that didn't happen. And I was grieving it. And I looked one day, uh, Susan, at the Kubler-Ross stages of grief. And as I looked at them, I realized that I was in mourning for my dream of my family. And um, and I was going through the stages. We all sort of know them now. It's denial. And then the second one is anger. And the third one is bargaining. And the fourth one is depression. And that's, you know, I, I was in that stage for 10, as I said, 10 plus years. I was just so sad. I would cry. I'd go to church. And instead of praising the Lord, I was crying in my in the in my pew. <laughs> and the last stage is acceptance that I you know I can't change this, and so I'll help me God to live with it. Recognizing that the the morning that I was in really allowed me to know that acceptance is the last stage. That that is what I should pray for. With regard to forgiveness, uh, because I had done some writing upon forgiveness. I understood that forgiveness is not doesn't excuse the person who hurt you. Forgiveness says, I'm ready to be healed. And um, a lot of times we, we push grieving people to forgive before they're ready. I gave a talk one time at a church, and all of the women there had lost children to gang violence. And they were just, grieving and and people and they one remember one mother said everybody keeps saying i need to forgive so i can move on so grateful that i remembered at that talk to say to remind the women that there was a time in our culture when when people were grieving they would put on mourning clothes and you would wear them a long time and people would know to kind of leave you alone you know because you were in mourning you were in grief and there was and people and the culture gave people emotional space to be to grieve. Only when the grieving starts to lessen, 
can somebody say, I'm ready to be healed. And that's when the work of forgiveness can start. And the, and the other thing about forgiveness is that it's not an act. It's a process. It's a lifestyle. Even then, even knowing that, we don't, can't always on our own, uh, a pastor told me this one time, on our own we can't forgive a deep hurt. We might be able to say forgive 10%. And so we release the rest of it to God. The word forgiveness means release. You release the person who hurt you, you release the hurt, the damage, all that to God, because it's too much to manage on our own by ourselves. That's a lot to kind of navigate and process, but that's what I had to go through to get to a point where I could be in relationship with my daughter, regardless of the, the choice she had made with regard to her faith. There's several things that you addressed that I want to go go back to. You know, you were talking about the betrayal and abandonment, which is really grieving. It's interesting because I never saw the connection of those three before. There is a very strong uh, connection, almost like grieving or or grief is the the steering wheel. Betrayal and abandonment are like the the wheels of the car, and the steering wheel is grieving. Uh, mm-hmm. I have no idea where I came up with that image, but um, <laughs> but I never but thought a- about it like that before. And you're right. You know, everyone is like, I mean, I I don't know how many times people have said to me, "Oh, Susan, you just need to forgive. You need to forgive. You're not ready mm. to forgive yet." You know, and. It, and it would really make me angry Angry, yeah. because I knew that there was something missing there. You know, I right. knew there was a reason why I wasn't able to forgive. I didn't know what it was. So important because I think when people have been betrayed, whether it's an infidelity, you know, in a, in a marriage or by a parent or family member with child abuse, post-traumatic stress, and here I'm out of my, I'm getting out of my lane because I'm not a licensed psychotherapist, but I think that's probably something that people experience, you know, when they've had gone through such damaging trauma. It is very unfair for somebody to suggest that somehow that, that damaged, hurting person is guilty of not forgiving. That kind of adds insult to injury. Yes, it does. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I have learned throughout all of this that the person who says to me, oh, you just need to forgive or, you know, what's wrong with you or words of those natures. Essentially what they're saying to me is I have no idea what it's like to be you. I don't want to be in that pain. So I'm going to just tell you to get over it so I don't have to feel it. Essentially that, that's what they're saying to you. You know, it's the same thing as judgment. You know, they're not judging you. They're putting that onto you. That's the pain that they're holding on to that they can't, they see an opportunity to release maybe just a sliver of it. Mm-hmm. And that's enough for them to, to just get rid of that slight sliver of it, to put it onto you. Right. Please go away from me with all of this pain. I don't want to feel it. 
here yes. you have to think about it. So snap out of it, you know. Exactly. Snap out of it. Yeah. You mentioned uh, signs. I don't want to put you on the spot here, so if you can't answer this question right off the bat, that's, that's fine. But you mm-hmm. had mentioned um, that there were signs that you know that you're ready to forgive. What were those like the ones for the, the stages of grief that you talked about? Or are there signs where someone could be like, they're going on their day and they, and they can see that their thought process is shifting? Is there anything that you could offer that might help them, encourage them? I think it's probably a case-by-case basis, but in my case, I saw a friend, an author friend, write a book with her daughter on a a completely different topic, kind of a fun topic. The daughter is a vegan, and the mom is, you know, meat and potatoes, butter (laughs) kind of gal. (laughs) That's funny. And so they decided to write a book together on, you know, talking about the, the, the different ways they think about and consume food. In fact, they they even started a blog together. But they successfully wrote a book, and so since I'm an, an author, I thought, well, that can be a vehicle for Alana and, and me. And it's interesting, Susan, um, I often think if we had not been willing to write if we had been would have been successful on this piece on this journey to to bridge our divide, but uh, we were on the on the Today Show about a year ago talking about this, and they asked us to write uh, suggestions for families who want to do this same work. They may not want to write a, write a book, but you know, bridge a divide in in their family, and that those. That information is still up online if people want to look at it. If you want to go to the Today Show and just Google my name, like mother, not like daughter, when religious conversion causes a family rift, and then it lists my advice for parents, and then conversely it lists Alana's advice for adult children. There's a video, there's a brief clip of our segment that we where both of us are on getting interviewed on on that sh- on the Today Show on that show. When we sat down and thought about it to, and to write it down, Alana's first tip was initiate the discussion. You know, ask your parents if they're willing to talk about your conflict. Then commit to having a civil conversation. My first tip was go to God. Take your hurt, your shock, your anger, or whatever you're feeling to your God. And then number two, allow yourself to grieve. You know, it was interesting. You know, people have to make the decision. Oh, we're uh, that indeed. We are going to work on this. This is we've got this situation, (laughs) and let's not let it just linger and fester. Let's try to address it. And there's so many other things that I I want to talk to you about this, and I need to be mindful of our time together, and I wanted to um, address the self-love part of this. So using your experience, let, let's just use that as the example. How did it affect your, your self-love when, when Alana said she wanted to convert, leave the family religion? I was devastated. And, and then yeah. I learned that one of the things that 
all parents want to do is pass on their values to your children. Well, when your children reject your values, which, you know, children often do, especially when they're becoming adults and are, you know, separating from the home so they can be grow up, it can feel like the rejection is very hurtful. It took a while for Alana to finally, when she finally realized that, as she, as she says, she finally realized that I was hurting and that she needed to let me know that she heard my pain. Now, we hadn't, a lot of stuff still hadn't gotten resolved, but just as we started saying in the beginning of the conversation, when she let me know that she heard me, that's when we turned the corner. It's wonderful when the, when the, the person in a dynamic can say that. For people who are in a situation where the other person never does say, I'm sorry, or I hear you, then self-love I think, as a woman of faith, I think self-love is found in knowing that God loves me regardless of what anybody else did. Now, that's that's my particular, you know, my faith as a Christian. I, I believe that the, that the Lord died for me, and so that says that he loves me. People who have a different faith context or who are agnostic, or you know, for example, um, we'll probably have to find that self-worth in another way. But it's certainly worth pursuing. It's vital to pursue, and it's true. Each of us is worthy. Kind of seizing on that truth and and living in it is, you know, an important step to getting back to emotional, personal, and relational health. Again, not as a professional psychologist, but just as someone who's been on a life journey. Well, sometimes sharing your life experience is the best healing medicine that there is because we all have the same bucket of feelings. It's just we have different experiences than when Mm -hmm. we pull them out of the bucket. You're talking about the self-love. Self-love is, I think, is so hard for for so many people, myself mm-hmm. included. I mean, there was a time where I didn't even know what it was. And the idea of being entitled to it or worthy of it, it wasn't even in the realm of possibilities. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's been a journey for me to learn about self-love. When you made the statement about that God loves me, loves you, loves those who uh, receive his love, started smiling with joy almost because mm-hmm. I, I never thought about it that way, even though I don't know why I never thought about it that way. It just never presented itself that clearly. Mm-hmm. It, it takes this um, enormous sense of why can't I get this off my shoulders because it's like God is supporting me and showing me if I learn to receive it and see it, this is amazing how intricately this all fits together. Yes. Yes, it is. And it's quite um, beautiful. Yes. Knowledge is power. (laughs) And knowing God is the most powerful thing of all. Because in that knowledge, then we really do find out who we are and, 
and what we are worth. Before we close out today, I'm just finishing up an essay for a publishing house, and I'm focusing on the scripture about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And it says, consider the birds, you know, they, they neither sow nor reap nor stow away in barns, but your Heavenly Father takes care of them, feeds them. And, and then the, uh, Jesus asks the question, aren't you more valuable than they? It's a wonderful thought, so I'm writing. It's kind of a nature reflection on how the birds aren't trying to be any more than they are. And they are trusting in the knowledge that their Creator is taking care of them. We can have that same trust if we pay attention. And as somebody said, uh, writing is about paying attention. Well, I think getting healed is about paying attention, too. Yes. Is there any advice that you would give to our listeners who are struggling specifically with healing from childhood trauma, childhood abuse, or something that's a deep hurt or division? Are there any healing words that you could pass on to them? Yes, and it's interesting because I did not experience what we traditionally think of as childhood trauma, like child abuse, that kind of hurt. I am African-American, and so I grew up during the 50s during Jim Crow segregation, and it was traumatic, and I was just a child. I didn't know how, I I saw the hate and name-calling and injustice and lynching, you know, just horrible things. And I was traumatized by it. I, I didn't know it but at the time, but I was. And the only way, in fact, I, I wrote a book about it. Uh, my first book was called My First White Friend, Reflections on Race, Love, and Forgiveness. Only until I sought to be healed of the hurt, and that's my suggestion, is to seek your healing. You know, hurting people should seek their healing. I've been thinking about that. I want getting ready to buy a bicycle, and and I have some stiffness in one of my knees. And I, gee, I wish this stiffness would go away. But I, I need to just go. I need to seek healing for that. And it's no different than seeking healing for an emotional hurt. I think we should seek it out. Mm-hmm. When you say seek, what what are you specifically? How do you see that? Ask people who are healthy how they stay healthy. Ask them if they know a therapist uh, or, you know, a professional who specializes in, you know, whatever trauma that they've experienced. Don't sit and suffer. Go get help. To close out, just on a Bible thought, there's the whole thing that I, big thing that I've learned is growing up and knowing about uh, faith life. It is about getting up and going. It's not about languishing. Thank you for being on our show and visit her website for uh, more information, uh, patriciarabon.com. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations That Heal. Please share us so that we can reach more people. Remember that you are a lovable and capable human being. A Napa guy knows the only way you'd give a freshly minted driver a brand new car is if he promises to never drive it. Instead, 
Let him grind the gears and knock over the neighbor's mailbox in something a little more suited to his skill level. And with over 400,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, he can safely drive something that's nearly as old as he is. It's not perfect, but it's perfect for him. That's Napa know-how. Hey, Mount Vernon, exciting changes are coming to your Walmart at 2301 Freeway Drive. Soon, shopping will be easier than ever with improvements across the store. Stop by departments like produce, cosmetics, home, and more to get a glimpse of the upgrades. Plus, you'll still find the low prices you can trust on groceries, pharmacy needs, and more. Your newly remodeled Walmart will be ready on June 10th at 2301 Freeway Drive in Mount Vernon. Save money, live better. Walmart. 